And if you have a Bible with you, or a phone, or something else, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. One year ago today, I was having a very hard time swallowing food. It had begun in January of last year. Um, take a bite, swallow, feel like a little bit was getting stuck, drink some water, no big deal. But by this time, by April of 2021, it was really bad. Uh, I could not sit through a meal without drinking that much water. <laughs> It seemed like every bite had to be forced down. A month later, on May 19th, uh, in hopes of getting an endoscopy, in hopes of them finding that I just had a stricture in my esophagus, in hopes that they would just be able to balloon it out a little bit, stretch it back out, and I would be on my way. Um, I didn't hear that news. I rather heard that I had a, a tumor in my esophagus. That led to June and July of last year of chemo and radiation, a little bit of break after that, and then major surgery in September of last year, which then led to recovery, and over the last several months, a slow journey to get back to a new normal. There were a handful of passages, I think, that ministered to me during that time, and one of them was 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In fact, I memorized the whole chapter at one point during those months and would just ponder upon it here and there. It speaks to, I think, following Jesus, ministering in his name, experiencing great suffering, but through it all, experiencing an unconquerable hope in the midst of that suffering. That hope is tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're going to move through all of chapter 4 quickly this morning, and I hope and trust that these few truths that I share with you this morning will encourage you and challenge you, those of you who are followers of Christ. And if you're here this morning not a follower of Jesus, that these words as well will be used by God to help you see your need of a Savior and help you understand what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. So let's jump in. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In some ways, Paul is defending himself as he writes to the Corinthians. There was a group of folks there in Corinth who did not think much of Paul had much to say against him, and so many portions of this letter in particular are him responding back in light of their charges. Maybe some of that is going on here in chapter 4 as well. But in verses 1 to 6, the one point I simply want to make is that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we proclaim, we faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Watch Paul in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, now he's pointing back to all that he just said in chapter 3 about the new covenant gospel that had been entrusted to him, the good news. 
that God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, had provided salvation through His life, death, and resurrection from the dead to all who would repent of their sins and trust in Him for salvation. Paul said, since we've received, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, Paul often can't go long without talking about the mercy of God. He understood himself to be a sinner who did not deserve any goodness from God. He only deserved the wrath of God. But because of the gospel, he had received mercy. God did not deal with him as his sins deserved but rather extended his mercy to him. And Paul says, in light of that, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, or maybe a little better translation would be, we have renounced shameful, hidden deeds. And he explains what he means. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. Apparently Paul's enemies, if you will, there in second or there in Corinth, did just this. They tried to be crafty with their message. They, they tried to adulterate the word of God or water it down so that their listeners would more enjoy what they had to say. These guys sought to make their message more palatable to their hearers. They figured if they were straightforward about the truth, people wouldn't listen and nobody would come to believe their message. And Paul says, that's not what we do. We we renounce those shameful hidden deeds, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, or maybe better, but by the open proclamation of the truth. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul said, we we didn't walk in craftiness, trying to deceive people. We didn't adulterate, try to water down the gospel message. Rather, we openly proclaimed it, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We could glance back to 1 Corinthians 15, an earlier letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, where Paul defined his gospel, but it was simply this, that Christ died for our sins, that three days later he rose bodily from the grave, and that in him is forgiveness of sins, in him is reconciliation to God. In him is the promise of the Spirit of God, the very presence of the Lord with his people. In him is the assurance of eternal life. One summed up Paul's gospel this way. It's the good news that God, through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, rescues all who respond to him in faith, From the wrath of God into peace with God. With a promise of the full restoration of his created order forever. All to the praise and glory of his grace. This gospel that Paul openly proclaimed. Was good news. That's what the word gospel means. Good 
news. It presupposes some bad news. And that is that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, just like Cass reminded us. It's the fact that none are righteous, no, not one, just like Cass reminded us. It's the fact because of our sin and because of our lack of righteousness, we stand under condemnation before God. And that we can't do anything about it. Cass tried. Maybe you've tried. I'm going to do better. I'm going to be better. I'm going to jump through some hoops. I'm going to climb some steps. I'm going to be better than him or better than her. I'm going to pull myself up by my spiritual bootstraps and, and that'll do it. And the Bible from beginning to end just screams, won't do it. God is great and you have sinned. The wages of sin is death. You're separated from God. You're in desperate need. It's the bad news that the good news implies. The good news is that though we were sinners deserving of God's wrath and couldn't do anything to fix it ourselves, God did it all and sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to save sinners. It's what we celebrate at Christmas when the eternal Son of God became one of us in the virgin womb of his mother Mary. And he lived a holy life that you and I couldn't live. And then we celebrate Good Friday where Jesus Christ, the one who lived a holy life, went and died upon a cross, not for the sins which he had committed, but for the sins which we had committed. And we celebrate Easter. That after he died and they buried him in the tomb, three days later, he rose bodily from the dead. He came back to life, never to die again. He came back to life victoriously. That's the gospel. It's the good news that God, through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, his son, rescues all who respond to him in faith. The gospel requires, demands response. Simply because Christ came, lived, died, rose, ascended into heaven, and is there with open arms, it does not therefore mean that we are all forgiven, all reconciled, all given the gift of the Spirit and promised eternal life, we must respond to the gospel. And the response is repentance and faith. It's to realize that one is a sinner in desperate need of forgiveness, to realize that one needs help from God to live the kind of life that God calls us to live. And so we we repent from our sin. We realize it's our sin that got us into the mess. And we turn from it to Jesus because we need in him forgiveness of sins and help to live a new kind of life. You have to turn to Jesus in order to take hold of the promises of the gospel.
I suspect if you're here and not a follower of Jesus, you want from me and others what Paul provides. I assume that you don't want me to water it down. You don't want me to tickle your ears. You don't want me to simply just tell you what you want to hear. I, I would assume you say, Mitch, just give it to me straight. What does the book say? Then I'll make my decision. Well, that's what the book says. That God has acted in grace, mercy, and love towards sinners who deserve only his wrath. He sent his son Jesus to live and die and rise for you and for your salvation. And if you will turn from your sins and look to Christ, he will wash all your sins away, past, present, and future. He'll forgive you. He will reconcile you to God. Where there was formerly enmity, there will be peace. He will adopt you into his family, calling you his son, his daughter, and loving you forevermore. He will put his very spirit, his very presence in your life. You'll never be alone again. He will enlighten you to his word so that as you begin to read the scriptures, you begin to say, you know what, I don't understand every word that I'm, say, I'm he seeing here, but boy, it sure sounds like it's good for me. And you will have the promise of eternal life. Nothing, that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said, we don't walk in craftiness, we don't water it down, we manifest the truth, we proclaim the truth. Jump down to verse 7. I think he also says that we humbly receive hardship as an opportunity to glorify God and manifest the life of Jesus. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Up in verse 1, he said, we have this ministry, this gospel, this glorious good news. And here in verse 7, he calls it a treasure. We have this treasure. Friends, that's what the gospel is, is it not? It is a treasure. It is a good thing. It is not a message of condemnation. It is a message of forgiveness and love and mercy coming forth from the, the loving, gracious heart of God. It is a treasure. But we have it in earthen vessels. We are not men and women of steel. We are little clay pots, weak, feeble, imperfect, brittle vessels. You maybe heard that coming from cast this morning, too. Earthen vessels, aren't we? This good news, this gospel entrusted to his people 
We're just earthen vessels. That's all we are. Weak and brittle, feeble and imperfect, stumbling, fumbling along the way. But in our weakness, what did Paul say? His grace is made perfect. He says much the same here. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. When we are weak, he is strong. We've been entrusted with this incredible gospel of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. It's a treasure. We are weak and feeble messengers of it. But that's all right. God still uses us to manifest what? Our glory? Not at all. The surpassing greatness of his power. We are afflicted in every way. Here's some, he goes on about our weakness. We're afflicted. We're perplexed. We're persecuted. We're struck down. He goes on. We're always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. In verse 11, we're being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Verse 12, so death works in us. Boy, it sure doesn't sound like we're strong and mighty. Sounds like we are but earthen, weak vessels, brittle and feeble in our own strength, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. But, 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 in the midst of our weakness, and for Paul, his suffering that he's talking about here was his suffering as a follower of Jesus. But I think everything he says applies to any and all of the suffering that you and I go through as we wait upon God and trust in him, even in the most difficult of our circumstances, we find as his children, as weak and as feeble as we are, he sustains us. Glorifies his power through us. And as we'll trust him in the midst of it, we even manifest the life of Jesus with our patience, with our trust, with our joy with our love, even in some of life's hardest difficulties. God sustains us. We often sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We might could call that saving grace. That time in our life when we came to realize that we needed a Savior. And God, through his amazing grace, helped us see our need and see his provision in Jesus Christ. And we trusted in Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The song goes on. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. T'was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. We might could call that sustaining grace. Amazing grace and sustaining grace. That in our weakness, when we're afflicted, when we're perplexed, God sustains us. We're afflicted, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. 
always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. We who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. God meets us with his sustaining grace. John Piper wrote a little couplet about what he called sustaining grace. Not grace to bar what is not bliss. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like God to bar what is not bliss? Wouldn't you love him to, to bar sickness, to bar disease, to bar unemployment, to bar lies about you, to bar the trouble that comes into your life? We would love that. That's not what he does. Not grace to bar what is not bliss, nor flight from all distress, but this, the grace that orders our trouble and pain, and then in the darkness is there to sustain. God orders our trouble and our pain. My cancer was no surprise to him. Your trouble, your hardship, your pain, your distress, your loneliness, whatever it is that you're going through, was not a surprise. He's in it. He orders it. And in the midst of the darkness, he comes to us. He sustains us so that the glory, the, great, the surpassing greatness of the power will be him. We will look to him and say, praise God. And the life of Jesus in the midst of our suffering can be manifested through us as we trust him. And love, joy, and peace, and patience, and goodness mark our character even in the midst of the pain. So, we faithfully proclaim the good news of the gospel. We humbly receive the hardship as an opportunity to glorify God and manifest the life of Jesus. Three, we hope in the future resurrection. Verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. Probably you're... Bible has, I believe, therefore I spoke in capital letters. It's a quotation from the Old Testament. He's quoting the psalmist in Psalm 116 who himself was suffering. And who yet in the midst of his suffering believed in God, trusted in God. And because of it, he spoke. He continued to glorify God through his life, through his words that he was proclaiming. Because even in the midst of his trouble and suffering and hardship, he believed that God was with him. So Paul says, having the same spirit of faith according to what this guy wrote in Psalm 116. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Paul, from whence comes the confidence to keep proclaiming Christ, boasting in Christ, even in the hardships of your life? 
and even in the prospect of death. Where comes this confidence? He says, we also believe. Even as we are earthen vessels, even as we are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, even as we carry about in our lives the dying of Jesus, we believe that God is great. We believe that God has saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we believe, as he's about to say, he will save us ultimately. Therefore, we speak. We continue in faithfulness to him. What does he say? We also believe, therefore, we also speak, knowing. And here's the most explicit Easter verse today. That he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Confidence comes from the hope of the resurrection. If you're not familiar with this, whenever the New Testament speaks about hope, it's not talking about the way you and I often talk about hope. You know, what's the weather going to be like today? I hope it doesn't rain. We're not so sure about it. We're just hoping that it doesn't rain. When the New Testament speaks about hope, the idea is assured expectation. We assuredly expect that one day, even though we die, we to shall be raised. Where does that come from? The fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's what Paul says. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. Those of us who know Christ as Savior, who are united to him. Our sins are forgiven. And he is with us to this day. And he intercedes for us from heaven. And he has given us his spirit. And one day we're going to die. And as followers of Jesus, when we die, our spirit will immediately go into the presence of God. The Apostle Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. And we, they will <laughs> take my dead body and do what they do and put it in a coffin and it'll be buried about six feet under. And then one day, when Jesus Christ returns again, the Bible says that just as God raised Jesus from the dead bodily, he's going to raise my dead body from the dead too. Reunite it to my spirit and, and do what the Bible calls glorify it. Glorify my body. Never to die again. And to live forever in a new heavens and a new earth 
in which righteousness dwells. That is your hope and mine as Christians, is that death will not have the final word. Oh, death, where is your sting? It is gone. Why? Because Jesus died, Jesus rose, and by being united to him through faith, though I die, I will rise also. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he put it this way, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Fallen asleep means who have died in Jesus. Friends, this is what Easter is all about. This is what Christianity is all about. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And if you're a guest here today, I don't want you to get the impression that only on Easter Sunday do we preach about the resurrection. Only on Good Friday do we talk about the death of Jesus. Only on Easter do we talk about his resurrection. We talk about this all the time. Because this is our faith. This is the good news. This is the news by which we are saved from our sins. This is the news by which we will enter into his glory in resurrected bodies on a new heavens and new earth forever and forever. That Jesus died and Jesus rose. ask you a question. What is your hope in death? Death bats a thousand, which means every one of us, unless the Lord returns, every one of us is going to die. What's your hope in the next moment? was trained in evangelism years ago, we would often ask a couple questions to people that we wanted to share the gospel with. First, have you come to the place in your life where you know that if and when you died, you would go to heaven? I ask that to you. Have you come to the place in your life where you know that if and when you die, you will go to heaven? Secondly, if you were to die today and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? We don't have time for it, but it's too good not to show you. Some of you probably saw this on social media this week. This is pastor, preacher, Alistair Begg talking about the thief on the cross. If you're not familiar with that story, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified between two thieves, one on his right and one on his left. And for a bit, both of them were hurling abuse at Jesus. But then something happened. And one of them came to realize, I'm not so sure this is a good idea. He turned to his buddy and said, hey, what are we doing? This man has done nothing wrong. And then he turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, 
Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Here's a guilty man who just moments before is hurling abuse at Jesus. And in a moment, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Let's watch this two-minute video. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense... I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you, were, you, were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What? What do you mean you don't know? Well, because I, I don't know. Well, you know, we're, uh, did you, <laughs> excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are you, are you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> I said, I never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy is just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now, now that's the, that is the only answer. If you were to die tonight... And, and on the middle cross, said I could come. The answer is not in the first person. If you were to die today and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you in? The answer is not I, 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 I. The answer is he. It's he. It doesn't come by a simple tip of the hat to Jesus Christ. It comes with bended knee. I have sinned. I need forgiveness. I need help. I want you to be the forgiver of my sins and the Lord of my life. Finally, we keep our minds on unseen realities. Therefore, we do not lose heart. That little phrase closes this passage together. The beginning in verse 1, we do not lose heart. Here in verse 16, we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart, brothers and sisters. The gospel that we have been entrusted with is powerful to save, to take us through our hardships and into eternal glory. Therefore, we do not lose heart but though our outer man is decaying, can I hear an amen? 
ever since the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3, when sin came in, it's been a story of fatigue, of sickness, and disease, decay, and death. But we don't lose heart. Our outer man is decaying, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction. Paul talked about we're just weak, brittle, earthen vessels. We're afflicted, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're struck down, we're sick, we're tired, we're diseased. We are, whatever it might be, it is but momentary light afflictions. Boy, it doesn't feel momentary and it doesn't feel light. Well, compared to what's coming, indeed it is. And what is coming for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. In many ways, the spirit of our age is naturalism. All that is is the natural world. That's it. Philosophers would call it, we live in a uniformity of natural causes in a closed system. And all that is is what exists in that closed system. And all that is, is the material, natural world. That's it. Whether we have to look at it through a Hubble telescope, trillions of miles away, or whether we have to look at it through a microscope, and all things in between, that's all that is. And of course, the reality that the Bible presents is so much more than that. We do not live in a closed system. We live in an open system. God created the universe. God transcends the universe. God can and has and does intervene into the universe. There are unseen realities galore. Just because we do not see them doesn't mean they do not exist. We look at the things, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. In particular, I think of God and his Christ and the Holy Spirit and the life to come. Our troubles, our heartaches, our trials, our pains are but for a moment, and they are but light compared to what is coming. An eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. It's all because of the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose, who is alive today, can change your life this moment, who one day will come again, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and forever. Have you trusted in him?
Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you help us who know you not to lose heart? We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Help us continue to proclaim the gospel message faithfully. Help us to humbly receive from your hand the hardships you bring our way as an opportunity to glorify you and manifest the beautiful life of Christ. Help us to remember our hope is in the future resurrection from the dead because of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And that there are unseen things that will one day become very true. Momentary light afflictions transformed into an eternal weight of glory forevermore. Father, for any in here who are not followers of Jesus, they've never repented of their sins and trusted in him for forgiveness and for leadership of their life. Might you, this moment, show them their need and see them not merely tipping their hat to you, but bending their knee to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. And we will pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen.